TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Cool Show. Live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios Baby. on 92.9 FM ESPN. Now we on your block and it's like a ghost town. Baby. Where did you Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. And joining me now, college basketball and college football writer for CBS Sports. He is David Cobb. He is on X at David W. Cobb. He joins now via the phone line. David, what's the word? How's it going? Man, I'm doing okay, Gabe. Okay, why Why only okay? What, what's, what's that? Oh, that was a positive okay. Oh, okay. Not like a negative okay. You know, I'm doing okay. Like, it's a beautiful day outside. Uh, college basketball season um i you know i'm, I'm probably going to get out to the driving range in a little bit because of how oh. nice it is so so yeah i'm excited okay i got you i got you have you been checking out your old beat with the with the grizzlies have you been you've been you checking know, out gg jackson and vince williams jr are you are you a fan i i am a fan i check in every now and then uh sometimes they're hard to watch but then sometimes uh <laughs> they're, they're fun to watch yeah. <laughs> uh, i'd say mostly hard to watch i mean nine straight losses before last night yeah, but uh, Gigi Jackson is that source of hope, that little spark that that makes you feel like this could all be worth it. After man, uh, you know, he I watched him a lot at South Carolina last season, and was he worth a second round pick? Absolutely. But did I actually expect him to pan out? Eh, you know, not so much. But uh, man, wow, what, what what a hit! What a hit for the uh, for the Grizzlies front office. It's kind of nuts how much of a child he still is, though. You have to remind yourself. I, he, he had a cut on his hand last night, and they were putting in disinfectant. He's, like, jumping up and down because it stings. <laughs> and then there was one moment, I, I think after the game, he said he was asking Dylan Brooks when he was at the free throw line to follow him on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> like it's well, it's kind of beautiful. It, it really is kind of beautiful. He reclassed, so he really should be a – freshman in college this year in fact he was originally supposed to be a freshman at north carolina right right now and south carolina wait well, he's from south carolina south carolina threw a bag at him and he reclassed so he he started his college basketball career at age 17 last year and that south carolina team was bad and uh it's kind of remarkable that gg jackson's doing so well for the grizzlies this year and without him south carolina has turned this corner as well and is looking like one of the best teams in the SEC. Uh, so it's worked out nicely for everybody involved. But you're, you're right. He's 19. He should be a college freshman right now. And he's out there putting up big numbers against NBA competition. So 
hard not to feel uh, pretty good about that if you're a Grizzlies fan. Yeah, now um, you, you bring up South Carolina. They just got smacked last night. 101 to 61, Auburn beat them. Why is road basketball so hard? Like, why, why is, like, it, listen, I know it's hard, but it's been unbelievably hard. Kansas lost by 29 on the road to Texas Tech. And then, uh, that was two nights ago. And then last night, Auburn hammers South Carolina by 40 to hand them their, only their fourth loss of the year. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it nuts. No, what happened? What happened is, uh, Auburn was angry because Auburn went down to Florida over the weekend. And they ended up losing that game 81-65, to 65, Auburn did. But they were down by 29 points in the second half. And that was the worst showing of the season by Auburn. And I think Bruce Pearl got their attention with the way they played down there and said, hey, we got a top 15 team coming to our place on Wednesday night. You know, let's show the country that you know what we put on display Saturday is not who we really are. And boy, did they ever do that. I don't know that there's been a more dramatic – one-game turnaround by a team in college basketball this season to go from getting blown out uh, against Florida to putting the hurt on South Carolina in a 40-point win. So, I mean, I, I, I credit a lot of that just to Auburn being Auburn and going fast and being being a really good offensive team. Uh, South Carolina just ran into a buzzsaw. But I don't necessarily discredit South Carolina too much for that loss because, as you mentioned, Gabe, it is so difficult to win on the road in college basketball. And uh, – you know, it's just it's just great to have that that home court edge back. I mean, it's I just flash back to the pandemic and how painful that was and how lame it was not to have fans in the stands and stuff. And so I love it. I, I love the the home court advantage that we get in college basketball. Has has it been worse than normal though? I've seen a bunch of AP top ten teams on the road in conference get absolutely hammered. I mean, what are no, we up to? Thirty three teams that have lost to unranked when they're when they're in the top ten. Something ridiculous There's, like that. No doubt that the 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 highly ranked teams are struggling on the road more than they ever have before. I don't know by and large though. That would be an interesting thing to look at once the season ends. Is a road winning percentage lower than it ever has been? I it sure feels like it. Uh, but then you got to remember, there's a lot of like really good teams that go on the road and beat really bad teams all the time. Um, you know, for example, UConn beat DePaul by 50 on the road last night or, or close to it. Yeah. And that stuff still happens all the time, and we don't, we don't pay attention to it because it's what we expect. But definitely with some of these top 10 teams uh, against the, the decent teams, right, like they're losing all the time. I mean, you can have a situation where, you know, let's say – let's take Memphis, for example, tonight. If they were playing at home against North Texas, what would they be a – five or six point favorite right. but on the road they're a one and a half point underdog you know so i mean i think it's worth home court advantage in college basketball right now is worth about six six and a half points yeah now i want to revisit the uh, north texas memphis game here in just a moment but you brought up depaul they they're they're going to be looking for a coach but i think more more so than that we have ohio state firing chris holtman that feels like it was a long time coming right that this he he's been on sort of a a very very warm seat for a while but four and ten start in the Big Ten got him. Who 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 can replace him? I mean, seemingly they can go out and get a, a really solid coach. You would think so because they've got the resources, the arena, enough of a history to be a really attractive job. So I wonder if they go after Dusty May right. to cut his teeth in the Big Ten back in the day under Bob Knight at Indiana. I also wonder if they don't go after Mick Cronin, who was the coach at Cincinnati forever, who they could have hired before who they, they didn't hire, he ends up at UCLA, but he's frustrated 
at UCLA because of the lack of NIL resources out there. And he, he's gotten that team back on track this year. Uh, but, you know, those guys that, that Bank Cronin built UCLA with, you know, Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell and uh, that whole crop of guys like Jules Bernard, they're, they're all gone now. And so he's confronting the reality that building a program without NIL is really tough. And his team is about to move to the Big Ten. Right. So we, just saw, we just saw Chip Kelly go from uh, UCLA to Ohio State and very, very different circumstances on the basketball side. But because of Nick Cronin's history at Cincinnati in that state and because of the challenges he's encountering at UCLA, I think he would be a, a no-brainer uh, to, give, to give a call to. And, and if you're an Ohio State fan, I think you'd have to be happy with that because I know UCLA probably isn't going to make the tournament this year. But he's done a really good job there, and uh, he had Cincinnati pretty much in the, in the big dance every every year uh, when yeah. he was there. And you know what the narrative becomes, though, if he does leave for Ohio State? It's that he was he was about to get fired at UCLA. He felt that seat getting warm, so he had to get the hell out of town, hightail it out of, out of town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of what the deal was for, for Chip Kelly. But uh, I think Mick Cronin, um, he's built up enough goodwill at UCLA to where he could survive this year. And it's just weird to think about a program with that amount of history and success as being one where they're going to struggle with NIL resources. But I don't think that's what's going on out there at, at UCLA to, to a certain extent. So, you know, life's about to get a lot harder for him moving from the Pac-12 to uh, the Big Ten. If he's going to move to the Big Ten, he might as well go do it uh, at a place like Ohio State where he, he might have a little bit more backing and, and where he's probably a bit more comfortable geographically. And by the way, the, the quick sidebar here, the Pac-12 in basketball is the opposite of the Pac-12 in football in their final year before they turned to us. It stinks. It is stinky. I mean, you have Arizona, then you, it's just a crapshoot from there on, right? No kidding, yeah. It's not been a banner year for, for Pac-12 basketball. I'll give you <laughs> right. one, though, to, to look for. Uh, Washington State. Uh-huh. Like they 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 are probably going to make their first NCAA tournament in like 15 years, and they're doing it with a bunch of guys who weren't even on the team last year. And uh, anyway, that that's just one to keep an eye on. I mean, yeah, they're 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 probably capped in terms of what they can do in the NCAA tournament. But yeah, uh, it's Arizona, and then the only other interesting team, really, I would say, is Wazoo in the Pac-12. All right, now we have Memphis versus North Texas tonight, and I, I pointed this out on my X account, and for people that have not seen it, at G underscore Coon seventy one, quick shameless plug for me. But uh, um, I, I was looking at Bart Torvik that a lot of people have latched onto in the past few years, as far as metrics are concerned, and I, I know that he sort of it's a, it's an offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency metric, um, and it sort of combines those things. But I was looking at this. I was looking at his his rankings, and he has Memphis at number ninety three. They have an eighteen and six record, seven and four in conference. Um, they've beat VCU at VCU. They beat A and M at A and M. They beat Clemson at home, Virginia at home, SMU at home. North Texas, though, on the other hand, and they're good defensively. I, I've seen their metrics, but number fifty four, ninety three to fifty four, and they're thirteen and ten, and they've only really beaten SMU. When, when we talk about metrics. I've had a lot of trouble sort of making sense of all of them, but what what do you personally, covering the sport, what do you pay attention to the most? Yeah, I pay attention the most to wins and losses. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I know that's old-fashioned, and like I literally went and got a master's degree in sport analytics to help me understand some of the underlying stuff you know that we use to calculate, because so much of college basketball and college football is – advanced metrics and rankings and algorithms and all this stuff that we don't have to deal with in the NBA and the NFL. And, uh, you know, obviously from a roster construction standpoint, like the professional 
sports franchises use analytics. But I mean, when you're looking at it from a, as a fan or a media member and you're trying to figure out which team is good and how teams should be ranked, in college sports, we are way too overly reliant on the advanced metrics and stuff. And uh, that's why a team like South Carolina is like 50th in Ken Palm. They're, they're, they're 21 and 4. They have a road win at Tennessee, which stacks up as one of the best wins. And a win against Kentucky, but obviously And a win against Kentucky, right. And, and yet they are still deeply depressed in these metrics. So at the end of the day, I look at wins and losses. That should be the, the measure of a team is do they win more often than they lose? Who did they beat? Who did they lose to? And, and those are the things that interest me the most. I'm not saying that the, the analytics are useless or worthless or shouldn't be considered, but I, I do think we get tend to get over overly reliant upon them. Uh, when at the end of the day, there's something to be said for a team winning a basketball game. Yes, 100%. And, and Memphis, last time out against Tulane, that looked like the Memphis team that we've been waiting for, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. So getting closer to feeling like maybe there's some hope here. Uh, Jerry Palm just released his bubble watch for today, and uh, he basically says Memphis has lost its margin of error yep. to, to lose games like this, and he's got them first four out at the moment but uh you know thankfully it's a quad one game uh so that that helps or or it could end up being one i think right. they, as of tonight i think it'll be quad two but north texas is right there on that line of maybe this being a a quad one game so yeah it's huge this is a i don't want to say a must win but uh hey if you yeah. lose this one you, you might have to win out that situation. Every, everything seems must win for this team after that four game losing streak what when we look at what sort of the peak seed line though could potentially be for them. Let's say they let's say they win every game on the rest of their schedule. And I know this is I'm getting way ahead of myself. Every game on the rest of their schedule except for that final game at FAU on that Saturday, March ninth. Um if they're able to do that, what are we looking at? Eight or nine seed? Sort of the same exact situation they've been in the past two years getting into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, in all likelihood. You know, the the thing that, that could help Memphis is if these teams that Memphis beat earlier in the season can do something down the stretch because consider this Michigan, Arkansas, and Missouri all considered quad three right now. Yep. Vanderbilt considered quad four. If Vandy gets on a run in the SEC tournament, like it did last year, maybe that jumps to quad three. If I don't know, <laughs> Michigan, Arkansas, Missouri, I don't know which of those three teams could possibly get hot. But right. if one or two of them did, uh, and, and all of a sudden that's a quad two game. Like, there's as much that could influence Memphis's resume um, outside of Memphis's actual schedule uh, than what Memphis could actually do on the court. Like, obviously, you know, you got to beat FAU and you want to beat SMU, and, and you know, you got to win these games. But because of how reliant we are on the net and, and some of these other metrics, like we're talking about, it's, it's equally as important to Memphis that Virginia. Uh, closes strong, you know, because that could become a quad one game. And could could UAB somehow uh, become quad one? You know, you're lost there. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of other factors there to where I think if everything broke right, and, and like you're saying, Memphis did win out or almost went out, and some of the other teams they've beaten uh, played well down the stretch. I mean, I could see I could see it at the highest conceivable seed line a, a, a seven for the Tigers. Now, holler at me about the team at the very top of the American Athletic Conference, and I did not expect this, especially after sort of seeing them in the out of conference. But South Florida is eighteen and five and only has one loss. They're eleven and one in conference play. 
And this was a team who had a three-game stretch of losing to Maine, Hofstra, and UMass in the out-of-conference. And I guess they all sort of pulled it together. Amir Abdur-Rahim has done a hell of a job. But what what are they looking like right now? Obviously, I don't think uh, many people have them in the tournament by any stretch of the imagination. But that's been a, it's been a hell of a turnaround for them in year one for Amir Abdur-Rahim. Yeah, no, it sure has. He took Kennesaw State to the big dance last season, and uh, my dude is doing an amazing job at South Florida uh, in year one. So, yeah, it's been a shocker kind of seeing who's been good in the AAC this year. In addition to South Florida, uh, which has been a total surprise, you got Charlotte coming out of nowhere with a coach who has uh, just now been elevated from interim to full-time head coach. Uh, totally random there. And also Rob Lanier at SMU getting yep. it turned around and getting SMU into the NCAA tournament conversation. UAV is starting to play better as of late. I know North Texas hasn't been great as of late, but uh, they've been better than they were probably expected to be after Grant McCaslin left for um, Texas Tech. So, I mean, it's the league has actually been better than I expected. And South Florida is far and away the, the biggest surprise in all that. I don't necessarily – have a logical explanation for you on how uh, South Florida is doing this, other than to say that Abdur Rahim is a really good coach who is uh, proving himself to be one of the rising stars in the profession. Yeah, well, and he brought over, you know, some guys from Kennesaw State and some transfers. Three of his top four scorers are transfers Chris Youngblood, Kayshawn Pryor, and Kobe Knox. And it sort of goes to show, like, even at a place like South Florida, the whole I need time thing that we've had in the past, that's, that's, you don't, you, you can't, you can't ask for time. You you have to turn around a roster and you have to get it going immediately. No, you're absolutely right. That is a good coach can go anywhere and win these days. That's what I love about college basketball versus college football because the argument in college football is, oh well, I'm going to leave this um, AAC job because uh, I don't have the resources that I need to win like I would have in the uh, the Big Twelve or in the SEC or whatever. Well, in college basketball. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Like, yeah, there's still a a major disparity in some programs in terms of the resources. But if if you go and take a new job anywhere in the country, uh, you have access to the transfer portal, and that is all you need. Um, Because if you go into the portal and press the right buttons as a first-year coach, you can get it done. 
uh, pretty quickly. And maybe it's not always year one, but but year two, absolutely. Um, you're seeing that this year with with South Carolina and Lamont Paris, and you see it all around the country. You can build a college basketball winner at a place that's never won before or hasn't won in a long time, and that's absolutely what's happening in South Florida. Now, what I'm seeing in college basketball as a whole transitioning from there is uh, UConn and Purdue, they are dominant. They're at the top of the sport. Everybody else has shown that they can be they can be had. And even that that even includes Houston. What they I mean they lost by 13 on the road a couple of weeks ago to or was it last week or a couple of weeks ago to Kansas. Um right. but it feels like UConn and Purdue at the top, everybody else sort of fall in line. Yeah, I would I like kind of struggle on whether or not to include Houston in that category with UConn and Purdue cuz they they are really good. Of course. So, so I almost see it like this. I almost see like UConn and Purdue on a planet of their own, then Houston like just below them, and then everybody else. Because I don't really not like knock Houston too much for losing uh, by 13 at Kansas. Like Allen Fieldhouse is is a tough place to play. So like I will forgive Houston for that. They're eight and three right now in their first year as members of the Big 12. So I still think Houston's really really good. But between four and about 45. There is really, really good parity in college basketball. It's just the the top. I see UConn as just being so dominant right now that uh, I would be, I would almost take UConn over the field. I know that's a terrible decision to make right. in college basketball because anything can happen in the NCAA tournament. But they were so dominant in in the Big Dance last year on their way to the title. Uh, and what strikes me is that at this point last year they had already lost seven games. Well, like we're sitting here, and, and UConn has what two losses, and they have they haven't lost a game in two months. Um, yeah. So it's like they they're already peaking, and maybe they're going to peak too early. But like I, I think this UConn team could be even better than the UConn team that won it all a year ago. Now Kansas was the the preseason number one. They're at six now, and they still have been solid. But that loss against Texas Tech has made me think a little bit differently. And in conference, they have really struggled. I think they've lost two of their last three games, three of their last what is it six. Um, like, how much do you buy into them? I know we've had this conversation earlier in the in the season, but how much do you buy into Kansas this year? It's a different, it's a different sort of feel to that team altogether with Hunter Dickinson sort of being the guy that that's the head of the snake. Yeah, when they're a hundred percent healthy, they're they're as good as anybody. Like, and and even as good as UConn because they beat UConn uh, earlier this year. Um, granted, that game was at at Kansas, but still, uh, they've shown that they are as good as anybody when they're healthy and and playing well. They also beat Tennessee and uh, beat Houston, right? So uh, Kansas at its best when healthy, good as anybody. The problem is the margin for error with that roster is tiny. Kevin McCuller has missed the last couple of games, and uh, with him out, they lost by almost 30 at at Texas Tech. And uh, when Dewan Harris twists his ankle and isn't at 100%, just that, that little minor tweak of an ankle is enough to totally throw that team off kilter because they don't have the depth and the horses and the offensive playmakers. But if they can somehow preserve themselves and be at 100% health-wise entering the uh, NCAA tournament, then Kansas could win it all. Uh, they, they have the ability and the, and the talent. It's just that roster is not up to the depth standard that you would expect from a program like that. Yeah, I'm not talking with David Cobb at David W. Cobb on ex-college basketball and college football writer for CBS Sports. Uh, let's get into a little bit of college football. We have all the, the reports of George Klyavkov being out as the Pac-12, Pac-2 commissioner, whatever the hell you want to call it. That was a disaster. 
He he, he had a five-year contract after Larry Scott sort of let that thing get out of control. He couldn't get it back into control. Um, and three, I think this is his third academic year. He's already cooked. It's 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 done. Well, yeah. What's confusing to me is like the fact that we're operating as if the Pac-12 is still a real entity. Right. I agree. <laughs> I mean, uh, so we've got these statements from the league and all this, and they're going to be moving on from from Klyovkov, and it's like, what what league are we even talking about? What's what's he the commissioner of? Because uh, at this point, you got Oregon State and Washington State in a football scheduling agreement with the Mountain West, and then you got the rest of their sports are going to be competing in the WCC for for the foreseeable future. So, you know, at best, uh, they you know all they could really hope to do is absorb some of the Mountain West schools who might want to play under that Pac-12 branding. Um, but even then, it'll feel more like it'll feel more like the Mountain West than the Pac-12. So. Yeah, I mean, it'll go down as the worst, most disastrous and unsuccessful commissioner tenure in college sports history. I mean, it's not all his fault, but he was right. the commissioner of the league when it imploded. And, it, uh, yeah. It, oh, my bad. My bad. You keep going. Well, I was just going to say there's no real coming back from that. It's, right. Uh, you know, there was no way for him to remain in that position after what he presided over. So moving on from him was the obvious thing to do, even though there really isn't much of a league left to, to repair or rebuild. Yeah, what what strikes me about it is, yes, I'll, I'll blame George Klyavkov because he's the one who could have ultimately pulled the strings to go make things happen. But but how much should we blame the presidents, the chancellors, the, the, the athletic directors for being in his ear and sort of uh, you know forcing his hand, making him feel a certain way about expansion? Because it feels like right. the reason he didn't expand is because everybody was in his ear saying, hey, we have this academic standard to uphold. We don't want to just add anybody willy-nilly in, on, the, on the back end. The Big 12 just added everybody willy-nilly and, and, and took your spot that you could have had because the Big 12 was, was in shambles before you just sort of allowed them to, to take a bunch of your schools and, and run away with it. Yeah, he had university leaders in his ear with studies that they had produced telling him how much these studies said that the league should get in a TV rights deal. Well, the market uh, wasn't anything close to what these academic minds and West Coast uh, chancellors were, were thinking it was. And whatever methodology they used for that economic study of what the Pac-12 deserved from ESPN or whoever it was so far off. I mean, and, and they, they wanted to stick to those numbers, and they weren't willing to budge, and that's, that's what led to the league uh, falling apart. So – there, there's a lot of blame to go around on, on what happened in the Pac-12. And, you know, it's funny. I've been reading recently a lot about how the Big Ten and the ACC and uh, the Big 12, they're going to be meeting, you know, in, in the coming right. months to figure out their schedule and their travel arrangements for all these sports. And it just – it's so illogical what's happened. I, I can You can make sense of it from a football standpoint. But but why are we going to be sending the volleyball and the lacrosse teams and the swimming and diving teams across the country? It is and it then, is insanity. And then I also read in this year's another thing. I, I read a uh, I read a uh, report. I think from Brett McMurphy. He was the first to it from from Stadium. But he was saying that uh, you know the ten teams that left the Big Ten or, or the the Pac twelve, I should say. Um, but the teams that left for the Big Ten and the Big Twelve, uh, they're they're still likely going to have to play in, in Pac-12 bowl games going in for the next two years while, while, while Washington State and Oregon State tries to keep the whole thing alive? This, this era of college sports, man. We're all over the damn place, David. We're all over the place. It's so dumb. 
it is so dumb, uh, everything that's going on. And now we got we got Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti forming a, a joint advisory <laughs> panel. I mean, who, but don't call it an alliance that? because that's a bad word. Remember, I mean, that's what Greg yeah. Sankey told Paul Feinbaum. It's bad. Don't say alliance. Gabe, the only thing that that's really got me excited that thinks like makes me think college sports is going in the right direction a little bit right now is that EA Sports released. A oh, new trailer you are not yeah. lying. Know what I didn't get though? Why didn't they put any like they didn't show us what the graphics are going to look like? No teasers. It was just they well, they had a guy in the Rose Bowl, you know. Yeah, I didn't even announcing. know who that guy was, and like I definitely noticed that there was not like a a player. In that trailer, which to me suggests maybe they still aren't at a place where they've got that group licensing uh, done. Because, um, you know, at one point they were getting heat because they were only going to pay the, the players 500 apiece to be in the game or whatever. Right. And uh, so anyway, I, mean, I am still curious to see, like, do all the players end up in that game? But I know the teams are going to be in it. Like there was a like a rendering of Neyland Stadium in that in that uh, hype video today for like half of a second, you know. So you're starting to see like the signs that if nothing else, at least the brands are going to be in that video game, the, the schools and the stadiums and the fight songs. And if the players want to be in it, great. If they don't, eh, who cares? I don't know if I'm going to buy it until I actually see it in my hard drive on my Xbox and I get to open the game. I, I hate to say it. I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I am going to buy it and you are officially invited to be a part of my, my online dynasty. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely, I'll, yeah. I, you know who I'm. You know who I'm picking to be my online dynasty, right? You be Memphis, right? Yeah, I'm gonna be Memphis. I'm going to be Memphis. Are you gonna be the Vols? Or is that? Uh, you know, you... I kind of, I kind of go based off of scheme and philosophy. So, you know, I, I like the old game where you could just be a running quarterback and just sort of uh, <laughs> run around and throw four verticals and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Man, I really haven't played Madden at all. So the last football video game I played was NCAA 14. So. Uh, I'm gonna to have to shake off some rust. I don't think I'll be ready to play it on uh, on Heisman difficulty right out of yeah. the gate. The big the biggest issue with Madden is it's the same game every single year, and they, they don't right. change anything. I mean, they do. I guess they kind of change. Oh, you know, possession catch, run after the catch, whatever it is, but they they don't change it much. Now, also to go with uh, how nuts college football is right now, uh, have you uh, have you thought about the fact that Michigan, our, our our college football playoff teams, Michigan new coach, Washington new coach, Alabama new coach. Texas is the only one with Steve Sarkeesian who is uh, who is actually going to stay, who is actually going to return for a year. <laughs> this, this carousel has been ridiculous, and it's still going today. Yep. Today we had Sean Elliott from Georgia State uh, leave a head coaching job to go be the tight ends coach at South Carolina. Oh, my gosh. I get it. There's personal reasons why he's making that move, but still you're leaving a, a head coaching position to go be a position coach right. at a middle-of-the-pack SEC school. So th- this carousel has been a weird one, uh, with without a doubt. And, I mean, you can draw all sorts of larger conclusions from it. But to me, it just clearly leaves Kirby Smart atop the heap in terms yes. of who is the best coach in college football. You you can't downplay – like, I've seen a lot of people that are that are college football purists, if you will, that are trying to downplay the recruiting calendar and, you know, act as if – you know the Jeff Halfley thing, leaving uh, BC uh, as a head coach to be a Packers DC. Um, you have uh, who else? Chip Kelly leaving UCLA to be an Ohio State offensive coordinator. You see a lot of these these college football purists, these guys that love college football, trying to downplay the recruiting calendar. Oh, that's not why they left. You know they they just left because uh, they were on the hot seat. 
I, I really think there's there's a problem with overworking these head coaches, and that's why they're stepping down into different roles. I mean, are you, are you there with me? I'm there with you, and I think the writing is on the wall that we are one court ruling away from athletes becoming employees of the university. Right. And what's going to happen at that point is that this ever-increasing salary pool for the coaches that we've seen is going to stop and in some cases decline. And mm. if you want to continue making comparable money and do less work because of all the factors you mentioned, uh, then going to the NFL is, is the right move. Or in some cases, uh, going from being the CEO of a college football organization uh, to just being the coordinator frees you up to just get back to coaching ball again and being less involved with all of the stuff that's required of being a head coach now. But uh, that the, the part of it that is interesting to me that I don't hear talked about a whole lot is that when in the very near future athletes become employees of the schools, what is that going to do to the coaching salary pool? And I think it's going to diminish it quite a bit, and that might be – a factor in why we're seeing some of these coaches take the exit ramp and go back to the NFL. And this is why we see GMs being hired around the country. Like they have to deal with personnel. They have to deal with all the compliance issues and everything going on because coaches, they have way too much on their plate. It's just way too much to deal with day to day. And I, I get frustrated for them. I really do. I feel, I feel their pain. To, now, obviously that's what some, what the money is for. Like I'm not, I, I still don't feel fully sorry for someone making two and a half million to $4 million a year, depending on where you're coaching. But at the same time, I do understand that the hours are ridiculous. You don't get time with your family. You don't get vacations at all. Yeah, I feel bad for their families. I feel bad for, the, for their physical and mental health. It's just not a, it's not a sustainable way to live life, really. You know, and, and to bring it to, to a perfect example of kind of what we're talking about right now, uh, why these things matter. I mean, look at Alabama and Kalen DeBoer. He was set to have his right-hand man who he's worked with for 12 <laughs> right, years. Exactly. At Several schools, uh, Ryan Grubb, he was going to come with Kalen DeBoer to Alabama to be his offensive coordinator. Security blanket, his, his vice president of everything, right? Well, that guy says, nah, I'm going to uh, stay in Seattle and be the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks instead. Better quality of life. He doesn't have to move across the country. Uh, he doesn't have to recruit. He doesn't have to deal with a lot of things. Um, but that leaves Kalen DeBoer in a very difficult situation. When he was already replacing Nick Saban, now – He's going to be doing that without his right-hand man, and he's got to decide, am I going to call the plays? Do I even have the bandwidth to call the plays with everything else that I've got to be doing as Alabama's head coach? And that puts him in a really tough position. So um, I don't blame Ryan Grubb for for making that jump, but uh, I'm real curious to see kind of how Kalen DeBoer manages that. Yeah, and then Ohio State, you had Bill O'Brien leave quickly, and then he had to replace him with Chip Kelly, and there was some – I mean, the the amount of turnover – for some of these bigger programs, even at OCDC, it's just it's too much to deal with. On top of recruiting, we just had the the late yeah. signing day. It's it's a lot. But David, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for hopping on. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely, sounds good. Yes, sir. That's David Cobb. He is a college football and college basketball writer for CBS Sports. He's on X at David W. Cobb. Now we need to go ahead and transition into the blitz. And I had a brief conversation with David about this, but South Florida won a game last night that put them at the top in sole possession of first in the American Athletic Conference in basketball. And I know that we talk about Memphis and they're a conference rival, if you will, but I think I have to give credit where credit's due. This South Florida program, this this athletic department, has done a hell of a job. I'll tell you the reasons why on the other side, 92.9 FM ESPN. 
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 